Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Won't Back Down with Will Levinson, Jake Lehman, and Sam Petosa. It's a dark week here in Gainesville, Florida, and it's never easy coming off a loss, especially against a team that you beat 29 times in a row. Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Petosa, along with my friends Jake Lehman and Will Levinson, back for episode two of the Won't Back Down podcast, where we will not back down from talking about our Florida Gators' gut-wrenching loss to Kentucky Saturday night. I hope everyone had a good week five of college football. I know very well Jake Lehman did not, as he was in Lexington, Kentucky, for the heartbreaking loss. Jake, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Three and five. Three and five. Three and five. The Florida Gators are three and five in their last eight football games played. I got nothing else at the moment. And to add on to that, they are actually one and five against power five opponents with the only win coming two weeks ago against Tennessee. And if you want to go back even further, they're two and five in their last seven games against power five opponents with the other win coming against the Tennessee Volunteers, if I'm not mistaken. I believe we went on a three-game losing streak to end the season last year, correct? Wow, wow. That, uh, it, it actually is. Yeah, Tennessee is our last two. <laughs> That's it, insane. And, and we're throwing out all these all these stats out here, but to me, only one stat was important. Only one stat mattered from Saturday. It was 20 to 13. 20 to 13, That's but not more what... importantly, eight false starts. Eight That's, false starts. That's That was the takeaway from this game. Is that a complex snap count? Yeah. Is that complex? Yeah, well, it, it, it's complex when the offensive lineman can't hear it. And there's a reason why most teams don't go to the clap snap count when they're on the road in a hostile environment. I heard a caller call onto the show, uh, the ES- Steve Russell show yesterday um, on ESPN Gainesville, complaining that we have no right to complain about the crowd noise at Kentucky at their little stadium because they only have 60,000 fans. That is absurd, first of all, because 60,000 fans is the average fan count at an NFL stadium, and those get pretty loud. Second of all, do you think a college athlete, a 20-year-old kid, a 20-year-old offensive lineman is on the field, unable to hear their, 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 their teammate, their quarterback behind them, hear the snap count, will say, oh, you know, it's only 60,000 fans. I can actually hear fine. It's fine. I, don't, I, I can't tell the difference. You cannot tell the difference between 60,000 and 80,000 and 90,000 and 100,000. It does not matter. Loud is loud. And it was loud on Saturday in Lexington. But is that an excuse? Boys no. And no. No, it is not. I don't care the number. It was going to be live regardless. It was a sold-out Kroger Field. And like we said on the show last week, 
we are Kentucky's Super Bowl each and every year. We are, they look at us as their biggest rival. Of course they were going to come. It was a night game at Kroger Field. They were going to come out. They were going to show their support. They were 4-0 in the year. Now they're 5-0 because they beat the Florida Gators, sitting at second in the SEC East behind the behemoth of Georgia. That oh, We'll get into them later. But that's – like, we don't have a right to be angry. Of course we have a right to be angry. But I'm more angry that our snap count is clapping. And it's so – it perplexes me so much because – Will, don't you remember last week, we were going to get my car in front of the track lot, and we heard the Kentucky fight song blaring mm-hmm. from the indoor practice facility, which is actually about a half mile down the road from the track lot where my car was parked, and it seemed like they were practicing for that, but yet, eight false start penalties. Eight false start penalties. Yeah, I, no, I don't, I don't doubt that they aim to be prepared, but the execution was quite simply... An abomination. It was horrific. I've never in my entire life seen A, so many false start penalties, and B, so many priests. I've never seen the false start penalty become such a big factor in a game to the point where you have maybe one or two less, and the Gators probably win that game. There, the worst part was not just how many came, but when they came. Let's take a look at one of the biggest ones, and that was before a field goal, okay? What's it, uh, Jace Crispin makes the field goal. It's called back for a false start. He attempts it again, and it's blocked for a touchdown. That was the big turning point in this football game. Later, you're, when you're down by two scores, down 20 to 10, Florida is driving with just under seven and a half minutes to go. You get the fourth down inside the 10-yard line. Emory Jones runs for a first. Seemingly looked like he had got it with no issue. False start. Mm-hmm. Bring it back. Got to kick the field goal that made it 20 to 13. If you score a touchdown on that drive after you get the fourth down conversion inside the 10 yard line, we're plus we're playing, we're going overtime. That game is going overtime. And that's a complete difference. Mm-hmm. I don't think Florida loses that game in overtime, which all they had to do was get there. And obviously, the false starts were the primary reason why they didn't. Yeah, definitely. And it was something that I've kind of been preaching, I know we've only had the pod for this past week, but something I've kind of been preaching all season and most of last season, just unpoised football. There are times where this team just looks like they're sluggish, looks unsloppy, and look, you can never question the talent of the Florida Gators. You can never question the talent of guys like Emory Jones, of guys like Damian Pierce, Jacob Copeland, Kingsley Agukon, Richard Gorage, but they just look unpoised. They don't look like they have a cohesive goal in mind to win a national championship, to get to the SEC championship. In their head, they might be like, oh, yeah, like I want to make it back to the SEC championship, but I don't think they are prepared to put in the work to go to the SEC championship because clearly they're not executing like they are. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it starts with your leader, right? What did Dan Mullen have to say after the game? No, he didn't get out coached because we outgained him. I mean, I, I know we look good against Alabama, but one concern I had, and I know you guys did too, was that, we were a little bit complacent about almost beating Alabama, you know? And so I, I think it showed against Kentucky. And the other concern I have is that it, it felt a lot like the LSU game, and uh, it's starting to feel like one game a year under Dan Mullen we can count on him being asleep at the wheel. Well, yeah. And that was this Saturday. And Starkville, you could drop one game a year. You could drop a game to Arkansas. You can, you can drop, drop four a games game a year in Starkville, and they'll build a statue for and you. And they'll still build a statue for you, but this is the University of Florida. And I've, the LSU game last year, I'm really glad you mentioned it because, for me, that's when Dan kind of – I don't want to say he lost me because I still think he's great, a great X's and O's play caller. I know it's in there somewhere. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the major malfunction is. And we'll get – like I said, we'll get a little more into that. But, for me, the LSU game is when I first started to jump ship a little bit because it just looked – 
with a game that I remember that game. I was waiting all day for it. I was so excited to go. I was sitting, for context, I was sitting right behind the goalpost where Evan McPherson missed the field goal and we lost the game. Right behind. One of my best friends actually got put on a surrender cobra on ESPN. I had to get out of the shot. I was really <laughs> upset. That was kind of like a glass-breaking moment for me and my, to say my Florida Gators ignorance because I just felt they came so flat-footed to that game. It seemed like they didn't even care for a game that had a lot at stake. Kyle Trask plays well that game. Kyle Trask could have very well won the Heisman. Kyle Pitts plays that game. Kyle Trask still could have very well won the Kyle Heisman. Kyle Trask did play we, well that game. Kyle Trask still fumbled it away. He had three interceptions or two. He, he played well enough. I mean, with that game, we had a 99.4% post-game win expectancy. Everything that could have went wrong in that game did go wrong. This game, for me, felt worse from a coaching standpoint because LSU, again, like Dan, no doubt, and, and the rest of the coaching staff, no doubt, fumbled that game. This game, on the other hand, Todd's defense played pretty well. Right, It was just decision after decision where I felt like Dan just kept making, you know, it, it was like in a choose-your-own-adventure type yeah. thing. It's like he chose the wrong one at every possible point. And the field goal that Will talked about, right, um, you know, I was in, in attendance in Lexington, and I do want to make a quick correction. The, the, the false start on the field goal, we actually ended up making that one. The one that got blocked was, I think it was like a fourth and three in their territory, a long field goal. And, you know, with the way we were running the ball, we weren't running the ball great. But in that situation, like, do you really count on Jace Crispin to make two 50-yard field goals? Like, I, I would put, you know, the, the way Damian Pierce was running, the way Richardson was running in his limited time, like, I, I think the odds are in your favor if, if you go for it there. Yeah. And there were n numerous other situations where, if we go for a fourth and short, you know, like um, you know, maybe the game just goes differently. Yeah, definitely. But what I was getting at about that LSU game is it kind of just seems like Mullen and the staff pick and choose what games they really want to come out, have a concrete plan for, and what games they kind of want to sleep through. And it, I don't understand <sighs> what this process for them is. It, like, this is just pure is. speculation. But how can a game, a night game on the road at Kentucky, or if we're going back to last year too, a night game against LSU, who not to mention is one of your biggest rivals. You don't think I forgot about that jackass Joe Oliva and the way he handled Hurricane Matthew? I will always hate and, and, LSU and after the that. Children's hospital money. And the children's hospital. The children's hospital, all God. of it. Yeah, they're how horrible. Did, how can you not? come out with a concrete game plan to come in and win part of putting forth a good college football season is winning all the games you were supposed to in a dominating manner and i'm sorry that is something i have not seen during dan mullen's tenure here at U. yeah it's like we recruit well enough to win big but we don't recruit well enough yet to play our c minus d plus game against maybe not a, a top 15 top 25 opponent but the kentucky's lsu's of the world we don't recruit well enough for Dan to be asleep at the wheel and just win those games on pure talent. Alabama and Georgia recruited that level. We're not there yet. I didn't play for each other, play for the Gators, play for a team. I'd be really disappointed if people don't want to play for themselves. I mean, you, you mean, they keep score. Someone wins and someone loses. Okay? I don't care what we're doing. You want to thumb wrestle me right now, I'm going to kick your ass. You know what I mean? If you want to come on up, I got you. Right? You want to go run stadiums? I'll kick your ass. You're going to keep scoring. Someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. I want to beat your ass. What happened to that coach? What happened to that coach? Um, it's, I don't see the same tenacity. Nah, I don't see the same nah. energy, the same fight. That was after Florida dropped one of the worst losses and home losses I can remember in years. 37-20, I think, to Drew Locke in Missouri. 
It was homecoming uh, too. Homecoming weekend as well. Just a t- just an awful loss. And I I think that there are very few things a coach can say that can leave me feeling okay about the future after a loss like that. That's one of those things. Mm-hmm. The, the way that he you could just see his fire. You could just see his desire to continue to fight and to win. And you're saying, you know what? Hey, this team has looked good this year. This team has shown the promise this year. This team is in year one of a new regime. And what do they do? They ended the year very well. They blew out FSU. They blew out Michigan. And you're thinking sky high coming into year two. I don't see the same fight. And you, as you mentioned, Jake Lehman, at the end of that game against Kentucky – I get it. Okay, we saw the little shot of Mullen smiling. That was maybe one second of him smiling at Mark Stoops. I don't know if that means he doesn't care. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bring, go that I, far. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, ta- I wouldn't put too much stock in that one image. But after the game, I wanted to see some fight from Dan Mullen. I wanted to see. I wanted to see Dan Mullen at at the stand, pissed off. I want because you know what? I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I ca- I give absolutely nothing to this team. I gained nothing from their success, but pure happiness and joy. And I was pissed off after the game. I was yelling at my dad, yelling at everybody around me, yelling at people for what I saw on the field. And Dan Mullen was making excuses. Dan Mullen, the one who gets paid, Dan Mullen, the one who benefits more than any other human on earth for what happens on that field, was not pissed off. And, and that is what makes me the angriest about Dan Mullen. That's what makes me question Dan Mullen the most. Because Dan Mullen is the best offensive mind, the best offensive play caller in this sport. But sometimes, maybe the smartest guy there is acts like the dumbest guy in the room. And his play calling in that second half, the way that he called this game, his preparedness, the, w- the way that he had this team ready for a game that I knew before the season, that I, a fan, could have told you, this is going to be one of the hardest games Florida will play. I said before the season, before Bama, that I thought Florida had a better chance to beat Alabama at home than they did on the road against Kentucky because it was in the middle of the season. It was a tough game in which this team, knowing Dan Mullen, would fail to be prepared and would undeniably overlook because no matter what, they are these are 20-year-old kids, and they don't see the top name. They don't see Alabama. They don't see LSU. They don't see Georgia. They don't see that big school name. They see Kentucky. They see 30 straight wins. They see years of dominance, and they don't see difficulty. They have to understand that Kentucky is a difficult game, and I don't think anybody on that team truly believed it would be a difficult game, and they played the worst game of the year. And this is what happens. And, and like you said, you almost sort of saw it coming, knowing you know how how, how the Mullen teams have worked. You know, this they, they play down the to their opponents. They 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 Sam play poorly in these types of uh, games every single week. time. They should we should have lost. Florida should have lost in 2019 when Felipe Franks went down. That if Felipe Franks doesn't get hurt, there is no chance Florida wins that. There is yeah. no chance Florida wins that game. Kyle Trask was the savior. And at some point during that third quarter, I'm thinking, what if we just put in Anthony Richardson? Just put him in. Just like Kyle Trask came in. I don't want him to get hurt, obviously, but what if we just put in Anthony Richardson? Maybe it's a different story because Kentucky could be caught, caught off guard. Obviously, I understand why he wouldn't do that and why he didn't do that and why that doesn't make sense, but I think it could have worked. Now, you know, the calls for Dan Mullen's job, absolutely premature, right? I mean, pe- people say that Florida's Definitely. got a crazy yeah. reactionary fan base, but as I was leaving yeah, the stadium, no, leaving Kroger Field, which, by the way, was not that loud. It, it really wasn't, by the side. Compared to the swamp, compared to what we're going to see in Death Valley, by the way, yeah, in two weeks, sure. we got you know. But 
my mind, which we um, will be on site 11 a.m. We Central will be time. on site. Oh God, yeah. But uh, my mind went to dating immediately as we left Kroger Field, and maybe I've been watching a little bit too much Colin Cowherd, but you know, it almost feels like the Florida fan base may. You know, my fear is that we're getting into one of those toxic relationships with Dan Mullen, where mm. we are the pretty girl who you know deserves the world, and we're stuck with the boyfriend who's got one foot in, one foot out. Yes. And, you know, our friends may call us crazy for, for um, you know, crying all the time and wondering why he doesn't treat us right. But we're not crazy. You know, we're not crazy. We deserve someone who's, who's as invested as we are. And so I worry that we're becoming that pretty girl. Okay, so everything that you guys just went through, I would like to mention that it supports my long-running theory. I've not announced this on the podcast yet, but I know I've told it to you many times, that last year during quarantine of coronavirus, Dan Mullen was water skiing at his lake house or something and must have been dropped on his head. Because <laughs> since the end of 2019, I swear to gosh, yeah. we have not seen the same thing. It's not even the he end just of ca- 2019. The lack no. of preparedness, the arrogance, the deflecting of questions, the lack of organization, the penalties, the lack of tackling. I understand it's been a weird couple of years, guys, but come on. Hey, the, yeah, but the, the press r- conference is exactly. He just doesn't act the same. He just doesn't act the same. He deflects <laughs> questions. Maybe he has one foot already out to the NFL. Who knows? But for now, your Whoa. job is to be the head coach <laughs> of the University of Florida. We know what the expectations for that position are. I don't give a rat's ass what happened with Will Muschamp, what happened with Jim McElwain. What I care about is the two national championships, your mentor, Urban Meyer, who we'll, we'll get into him later. What he taught you, he won two national championships. Steven Spurrier, Steven, the head ball coach, won one national championship, won numerous SEC championships. That is our expectation because like just said with that girlfriend analogy, if you've dated a girl who you already know what you want, you know what you want out of a relationship, why would you settle for anything less? And I feel like that's what us as Gator fans are consistently having to do because of our coach's arrogance. I don't dislike Dan Mullen. I don't want to fire him. I believe in him strongly. I think he's a great play caller but am i questioning his care yeah certainly am i questioning his organization certainly and am i questioning his hold on his players yeah because it clearly looks like yeah. when they go out there they just want to go to fats after the game and and, and back to the girlfriend analogy exactly. a couple times a year he sucks us back in because you know he'll show up i to, thought i was out they they pull, pull me back me in back because in. he'll show up to our house with roses he'll take us out to a nice dinner he calls a phenomenal game against alabama georgia a couple times a year he, 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 you know, he shows us why and, and we love why, him so much. And that's why I think... But, like, so why aren't you capable of doing that all the time? Like, exactly. It, but it, that's it, what's so weird about this team and, with, and about Dan Mullen is, like, everyone watched what Florida did to, to Kentucky and say, oh, my God, Georgia is going to steamroll them. I'm talking 49. It's not even going to be close. That's I don't believe that because Dan Mullen... No. Dan Mullen is always prepared for those games, whether you like it or not. He doesn't necessarily actually overcome and win those games, but he always looks good. The team always looks good in those big games against the big teams. I expect Florida to go toe to toe with Georgia. I don't think. Oh, definitely. Win. We are gonna. But, but there's no question. And that's almost why this Kentucky loss is so frustrating exactly. because we know he, we're gonna you come out and look exactly. great. Against it's like when your parents get mad at you when you shit the bed on an exam or something. They're like, "We know you can do better. You're just not putting in the effort." Because yeah, college is distracting. Life is distracting. But you're on. Like these players are here. On on football scholarship. Dan Mullen is getting paid $6 million a year to put out the best college football Before team. 
bonuses. Week in and week <laughs> out. Why is Nick Saban the greatest college football coach of all time? Because in these games against Tennessee, against Arkansas, he goes in and he beats the living crap out of teams. Not only he that. He takes their will to live. He takes every game like it is a game against Auburn, like it's a game where you're going to the swamp. That's how it should be, and that's how you train these guys to be the best at the next level. I know a common point of conversation has been in recent years at, at Gator player success in the NFL, and you kind of saw under McElwain and Mustang, some guys didn't succeed because they weren't brought up with the work ethic you need to succeed in the NFL. Right, and, and part of it, like you say, you know, Saban – takes his his um, frustration out on Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, but it's not only that Saban beats the crap out of those teams, it's that he'll be up 42 to 14 against Mississippi State and he is, you know, red-faced screaming at one of his players or his assistant coaches to do better because, you know, this isn't going to cut it when we play Florida, when we play Georgia next week. And so you just don't see quite the same tenacity from our staff. And speaking of a lack of tenacity, I know we've talked about the press conference, which was a disaster, by the way. I, we watched it yesterday in my sports reporting class with Zach Ablaverdi, the great beat reporter for the Gainesville Sun. And I, the, it was terrible. Bottom line, there's not even anything to really say on it. It looked like he didn't care. He wanted to go home. I mean, who wants to stay in Kentucky for that long? Now, I mean, you're a saint. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, the people are nice. You get a blend of southern hospitality, Midwest, um, you know. And, and the city smelled like corn, apparently? The city, it, it had a little bit of a corn smell. We did a quick Google search. We, it might be attributed to the Jif peanut butter factory oh, that is nearby. That, that's okay. the one okay. thing that's we That's not found. what I would be expecting okay. from Buddy. Give, but, give uh, me the nice southern, But what I was getting flight. at mm-hmm. is even – Go back, and we keep talking about this LSU game. Even before the game happened, he was saying to Joe Tessitore that we can still make the playoff at 8-2. and two. We can still make the playoff with two losses, even if we sit Kyle Pitts. No, you can't! What precedence has showed you that you can? And you're coming out here putting your head 10 inches so far lodged <laughs> up your own asshole that you are putting... Oh, my God, it just... It's yeah. so frustrating, and, and I hope you can hear the sincere frustration and anger we're in frustrated. our voices. I wasn't with Jake or Will during the game on Saturday, but I can speak for myself. I actually wasn't that mad when we lost. I expected it, and it's so sad, guys. I've, I've gone from, from disappointment to, to anger One of the all-time great college football programs, and I was like, oh, honestly, they had it coming. Yeah. To yeah. Kentucky, someone we beat 29 times in a row. And now just one more point I want to make is, you know, press conferences don't actually matter in the grand scheme of things, right? They, it, right. they don't determine the final score. But we're not what, – what we're mad at is not the press conferences, right? I could care less about his press conferences. It's your actions on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? Like clearly – Well, and, and the actions on Saturday have then – They've related to the press conference. Right, exactly. It's not the press conferences themselves themselves, that we give a crap about. Exactly. We're just observing the press conferences have changed, and so has the product on the field. Yes. They they, they go together. Correlation without – I don't know. I don't know the term. Yeah. I mean, Spurrier Spurrier was was, – Causation. That's what it is. There it is. Spurrier liked to fool around and, and, you know, had a Mullen-like demeanor in in press conferences, joking around with the press, being a little bit of of an asshole, you know, no other way to put it. But he backed it up on the field. Yeah, right. like when he was at Mississippi State, and they asked him, oh, where'd you get Nick Fitzgerald at? And as he was choking on a cigar, he'd be like, oh, from Chattanooga. UT like, Chattanooga. Yeah, you have a right to brag. You have a right to brag. out with a zero-star guy. UT you're putting out a top 25 team in the yeah. country. But when you're at the University of Florida, and you're coming in ranked a preseason top 15 team, and you already have two losses, and it's not even the second week in October, it's time to look at yourself in the mirror, buddy. 
Ugh. But, ugh. Let's stop talking about that game right now. Coming up this Saturday. You can tell we're angry. homecoming week here at the University of Florida. Campus is buzzing. Gunna in the neon trees will be here Friday night for Gator Growl. But that'll be capped off by a noon game against Vanderbilt on Saturday. That should be... Are you excited for that? Well, it should be an exact replica of what we saw in 2019 when Vanderbilt last came here. I want to see 56 to nothing, and I want to say anything less. I, I actually don't think it'll be like that at all. I really think I'm like, and I said this before the season. I think this season is going to go down exactly how 2018 went. It's just different time frames. Different I time think frame, right? We are going to come out very slow again. And now this, and we are all going to be mad. We're going to be red in the face. <sighs> Big Will will probably have punched the bleacher by then, but. I'm telling you, I think we are going to come out in the first half so flat, so asleep that the stadium might the stadium might honestly be halfway empty heading into the second half. And I think it'll be empty to halfway empty to begin with. <laughs> Sadly, what am I doing? <laughs> we might have three losses, and it's not even the second week in October. And they're going to come out and they're going to dominate like Felipe Franks came out in the second half of the right. South Carolina game. Hopefully, Emory doesn't shush the crowd. But you know what? I wouldn't blame him if he did. <laughs> and now this Vanderbilt team is another level of atrocious from those 2018, 2019. They, they might be the worst. Even, team I mean, college, well, besides they UConn. besides UConn. And yeah, exactly. By besides the way, UConn. UConn, UMass, a couple weeks away. That's going to get a preview on Cannot this podcast. Wait. You Cannot you, wait. you better believe it. But um, yeah, you know, you go back to 2018, and this team's talent level is so much higher than that 2018 team was. Yet it kind of feels like we came full circle. The only difference being that. Look, we did draw Alabama as our cross-division opponent, so that's that's going to happen. We drew them week three also. But, you know, the bottom line is that, for me, one, the most disheartening thing about this whole loss was that my other three years here as students, right, starting with 2018, you know, I've coincided with the Molinero, but the Georgia games, all three of the other years, we had one loss going into. We still had... East hopes, playoff hopes. We still had a chance this year, oh. unless Bo Nix, you know, goes from trash can Johnny Menzel to real Johnny Menzel on Saturday. You know, ooh, I think <laughs> our East hopes are pretty much dashed, and so I want to see how we react to you know playoff East, you know, SEC hopes being thrown out the window earlier than usual. Maybe it'll be a good thing, you know. I don't know. I'm interested to see how we react. Vanderbilt will be a blowout. LSU, I'm a lot more interested in because, like me and Sam talked about yesterday, and we'll get more into it next week, but LSU is the first game where if Dan Mullen loses, he, he, he's getting a little warmth under his seat. But, Just a um, little bit of warmth. A little bit, but it's the uh, like it's year nice four. It's year four, and it's the first game where you're going into it with any sort of, of warm seat. Feel right. I mean, and, right. Well, well, that's what's so interesting about that LSU Florida game is whose seat is hotter going in. Well, Anno, oh, undoubtedly. Oh, well, well, I understand. His that, is already warm, if not hot. So, does it remain hotter if he beats Dan Mullen at home? It remains warm. Okay, because but what is Dan this? Uh, is, get, is beating this Dan, Florida team actually Dan, that impressive? Okay, but like, does Dan Mullen's seat get warmer than Edo if Edo beats Dan Mullen? I think the Auburn loss was really bad for. I, they yeah. had that game. Yeah. They could have won that game. And I think even more than a game against Florida, he needed that game. He really, It was a night game in Death Valley. Those are games you're supposed to I mean, the, the, I guess a team that looked to be struggling in Auburn. The Auburn game was the one that got uh, less canned four or five years ago. Yeah. But, um, yeah, again, we'll see how they react. They go to Lexington, actually. And, and it's funny because the, the fans who I was with were – 
by the way, shout out Kyler from Lexington, the number one Kentucky fan. The number one Kentucky football fan. I would be shocked if he wasn't. You know, he's going to be running the scoreboard one day. But, uh, again, shout out Kyler. But even Kyler doesn't think they're beating LSU next week. He knows that Florida was really? – the, the fans I talked to after the game don't expect to beat LSU. They, really? they knew that the team – that Florida was their Super Bowl. And so the fact that we weren't prepared for that is just, is just so disheartening. It, it, it is annoying that Kentucky thinks so highly of us to make, make us their Super Bowl. But, I mean, LSU, I mean, they could very well, like, lose three games. LSU could lose their next – Five football games. games. Let me pull six, it up real quick. Six. Let me pull it up. Real okay. Quick. Okay. So it's great. They just lost to Auburn. They barely escaped Mississippi State, but now they got at Kentucky. They've got to play us at home. The Gators at home. They travel to play Ole Miss, and then to Tuscaloosa at Alabama. They can mark that down as a loss, and then they host Arkansas. It just means more. That is a. It tough, just means more. That is a gauntlet at this moment. Add in Oklahoma and Texas in a few years. Yeah, well, that's gonna, that's, the SEC, man, it just means more. Oklahoma and Texas this Saturday, also at noon, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, hold on, it is at noon, but I want to say this: I'm a little bit, I'm actually very, just very like angry mm-hmm. that A and M and Texas, A and M and Bama, is an is the CBS nightcapper this week. It is a it is a prime time. Wait, that's CBS what they're game. wasting their prime. That's time what CBS I'm saying. Jim Fisher. Wait, don't they get one every year? Yes. Wait, so they that means one there's two year. left, like ever. And they're wasting it on Texas A&M, Alabama. Jimbo yes. Fisher oh won a national God. title with Jameis Winston eight years ago, and now Texas A&M and Zach Calzada are in a nighttime CBS lot. It, it's just insane to me. They're three and two, and they have a night. <laughs> yeah. it, Texas A&M's a weird school. Just on a little tangent here, but like college football is a weird sport because so many people, the common complaint against college football is that it's so predictable. The same teams win every <sighs> year. But the sport changes so often. It's just these three schools, and not even these three schools, like these three guys were just titans above the rest and were able to keep their team moving through the different eras of college football. There was a shift from the beginning of the 2010s to the end of 2010s, and everyone was just like, oh, Alabama, Ohio State, oh, Clemson, Clemson they dominated the field. No, they adjusted to the different eras of college football. You think back in 2011, Alabama was throwing the ball 50 times a game? They no. had Trent Richardson. No. Sorry, that was completely off topic from what we're talking about. It's but true. Just, I hate people who hate on college football. No, it's the greatest sport on the planet. No one can. It is the greatest sport on the planet. And, you know, the, part of the reason we love it so much is because any given, any given Saturday, right, clearly a superior team will go in to a tough road environment like Florida did against Kentucky and just drop a stupid game. And there's no other way to put it stupid. Like, and we live for those stupid games. Even some of the top head coaches in the sport are, are stupid some Saturdays. The only ones who really aren't are, I mean, Nick Saban's really the only head coach I can think of who shows up every Saturday and you can count on his team, you know, fully showing up, being disciplined. So that's why, you know, I'm not ready to call for Dan Mullen's head yet because, even Urban Meyer, the last three years of his tenure at Ohio State, dropped an absolutely inexplicable loss each of those three seasons. You know, the Purdue game, the uh, the Iowa game. But, um, yeah, we love college football. And sometimes you fall – we love the chaos. Sometimes you fall victim to it. We did on Saturday. Exactly. And that's all I got. Sometimes you, ju- you just sometimes fall victim. You- but, okay, so, so tw- 2007 obviously is the year, the curse of number two. Curse of number two. Is this year the curse of number three so far? <sighs> Three separate times, number three Clemson in week one, mm-hmm. number three Ohio State in week three. 
And then this past week, week five, was week five this week. It, it was Oregon. Oregon yeah. falls to Stanford, and that, and that was, was the biggest upset. You want to talk about stupid? That game. So, was so okay. So, who does number three play this week? They number play four, Penn State. In Kinnick, right? That's going to be a phenomenal environment. That, that's just a game I see Iowa winning. Um, I, I, I agree. I agree. Before we pick that game, though. Now, but it's not nighttime, though. Nighttime in Kinnick, they're almost superhuman. The game's at uh, 4 well, o'clock. Not win, that Penn State did win on a, on a last-second <sighs> touchdown there McSorley. at night. Yeah, yeah but that, was, that was one of the most talented college football teams I've ever seen. Yeah, they out-talented uh, him that night. It's a lot more even this season. Before we pick that game, I know we're talking about the romance of college football and how any given Saturday, any team can lose. We got to hope that our team doesn't fall victim to that this Saturday. Let's get some game picks for Florida versus Vanderbilt before we Florida go and talk about Vanderbilt. some of the other Score biggest games of a loaded Score week predictions. six. All start out. I'm going to go. I already kind of revealed a little bit with what I was thinking. I think it's going to be a close game in the first half. I'd actually, I'm going to go as far to say first half score will be 17 to 14 Florida with a field goal from Jace Christman at the end of the half. It's going to suck. It's going to be a barn burner. Noon game, guys. But my final score prediction will be 44 17. I think Bolin is going to come out of the half a completely different man. He's going to come out with a completely different game plan. Maybe we'll see some Anthony Richardson in there. Maybe we'll see a revitalization for Emory Jones, who can be like, okay, this is what the fan base was getting excited about for me the past three years. I'm going to show them I don't throw off of my back foot. I don't throw flat foot. I'll actually stand on my toes, step up in the pocket, make a throw, hit that second gear after I cut on a dime for a tackle. I'm going to go 44-17. Now, you know, if Emory Jones doesn't have time to do what you're saying on Saturday, I'm going to be very concerned because this Vanderbilt team is another level of awful than, you know, like I touched on earlier, another level of horrible than the ones that we've played so far in the Mullen era. So I think we come out strong. I think fifty-six to seven. I I I think that some it's something in that direction. I think we come out so strong. Twenty-one nothing at the end of the first quarter. No trouble. We three three possessions, three touchdowns. They have three possessions, probably three three and outs. No trouble to start the game. Maybe they get a field goal here and there in the third quarter. I think they're going to score a touchdown with like a minute left, mm-hmm. just because they can. And it, it, it may it may affect the spread because it's thirty-eight and a half. But Vegas knows. Give me Florida 49-10, win by 39 49. points. The spread, again, you know? is 38. I think so you're v- picking with the spread? Yeah, so I think we, I I think we cover go by a point. I'm going to go against the spread. That's fine. I that 38 points. awfully amount of points for the Florida game. Is well, that your lock like, of the week? Is, is Vanderbilt plus 38.5? Not, not necessarily my lock of the week by any That's why I'm saying 49-10 because it's going to be either 37 or 39 points because Vegas just knows. Well, the one good part about this being a noon game is that we get to actually go back and watch some of the other loaded games oh of this my God. week six of the college football season. Hard to believe it's already week six. We've enjoyed every second of it. But let's talk about some of these other games. Yeah, like Iowa-Penn like State. The biggest game of the week, I would say, is Iowa-Penn State. It's the first Penn top five. Four. No, sorry, the second top five matchup because Clemson, once upon a time, was a top five team this college football season. But, um, are they even still ranked? They're they are five. not. They're not ranked, did they? Lose? No, they're out of the AP pool. They beat Boston College. No one watched that game. They did that. win. They didn't look good. Boston College had their backup QB in. If Phil Jerkovich, who I love, oh, he was, it, it, if, so if Phil was still there for Boston College, they would have won Boston that game. Boston College was my so favorite team to gamble on last year. They covered with Jerkovich. I Phil. swear. Jerkovich, yeah. Zay Flowers, they covered Zay Flowers. every single game but the Notre Dame game. And that was... Like oh. the last leg of my parlay one week. Oh. Uh, I think that, I think everyone after, every, everyone picked up. Everyone guess, had Boston College. You know, what? You know what it was? Yeah. That was the week after the Clemson Notre Dame game where I had Clemson as the last leg of my parlay. So Notre Dame fucked me two weeks in a row. Mm. Thank you a lot. I'm glad you guys lost last week. But Penn State Penn Iowa. Penn State Iowa at Kinnick. 
at Kinnick. We all know how games in Kinnick four go. It's o'clock. not a night game, but it's a 4 o'clock game. It'll certainly be nighttime by the end of the game. And and usually games get there get weird, and Iowa better hope it get weird because turnovers been the name of the game so far for the Iowa Hawkeyes yes, season. Are. Talia Tungavailoa, five interceptions. He, well, he was handing them the ball he whenever was, they wanted it. Not even, though. If you, if you go back and watch uh, – Iowa, for whatever reason, has an effect on teams. The two games that I watched any of, oh, they, they made so effect, far, but I mean, this of, year, two made some. He made some. Bad oh, he, he he sure did. But against both Iowa State and Maryland, which were the the two most quality opponents that Iowa played this season, they had four ter- takeaways against Iowa State. It was it was either four or five, and then it was five interceptions from Tungo Vailoa. And one thing you notice when you watch the Hawkeyes is that Tyler Goodson it, is good. Well, um, Tyler Goodson's phenomenal. He's, he's phenomenal. So they, you know, they love throwing to their tight end. They're very much Iowa. They're so I mean, they're Iowa. like so Tyler, Tyler Lynn. They, they have a fullback in their depth chart. Like, they're they're, so their base Iowa. offense is the eye. Oh, I, am I wrong in thinking that Spencer Pe- – it's Spencer Petros. Not Spencer. Is Spencer Petros just like the ex- a clone copy of C.J. Beathard? Yes. You know, yeah, he's they, from – They play exactly the same. He is. He's tall. Yeah, Nate Stanley. The long methodical. Yeah, like they only recruit a certain type and, of quarterback. And the Nate funny thing Stanley. is about Petros is that he's actually from California, which is just not yeah, what, are you, doing what you think at all when, when you watch him play. But what I was going to say is that the one thing you notice from the Iowa defense is that they don't have to, to, to blitz to make quarterbacks, you know, make dumb plays. They, they rush four, and, you know, they drop, and they – you know, make guys uncomfortable, and their interceptions aren't always thrown right to them, right? They are uncanny with the tip drill. They just know how to capitalize. Like, and they all play their position. So shout out well. to Kirk Ferentz and their defense coordinator, Phil Parker. They practice the tip drill. <laughs> you can tell. And so in a game like this, when both teams – I think Penn State's the more talented team. Yes. But I was at home. They're both – I don't think either one's actually a top-five team in America. Both quality football teams. They, have, I think, they both have top-five resumes, which is – Oh, absolutely. Top-five resumes, which is in the playoff era, that's all they really matter. But, you know, in a game like this, the difference will be the takeaways and quarterback play, in yeah, which definitely. I'm not sure Iowa's got the advantage in quarterback play. Because if you want to talk about, you know, explosive plays in the passing game, Sean Clifford has been playing pretty good football this season. And Jahar Dotson it will be the most talented football player – on the field when I was on defense and Penn Johan State's on offense. Just so I just think it'll be the most talented player on the field regardless. Johan it'll be a fun one to watch. He, we were talking about this before the pod, but I think Jahan Dotson should be mentioned in the Heisman conversation. I, I think right he's now. the best super in the league assigned the close. I agree. I, I think, think Tyler Linderbaum should be in the Heisman conversation as well. He's a fantastic yeah. pro as well. The man had zero mm-hmm. drops this season. But we're talking about quarterback play, and this year it's looked better, but a year ago it was nothing short of abysmal for Sean Clifford and Penn State through nine games. He Sean threw, Clifford is really good. He's been playing well this season, yeah. He threw nine interceptions. He had a QB rating of 137.4. This year he's only threw three interceptions through five games to go with 11 touchdowns. Last season he only threw 16 t- touchdowns through nine games. Obviously the play of Jahan Dotson has really helped him, but I think that Iowa defense is going to make – the difference. I really think the pressure that they're going to get on Sean Clifford mm-hmm. will make him force back to some of his old habits, force it a little bit to Dotson. They're going to have Riley Moss on him. They're going to put the whole team on Dotson. They know mm-hmm. he's the most talented player on the football field. I'm going to take Iowa with the points in this one. The spread right now, I believe they're Iowa favored, is yeah. favored one and by a half. two points. It's two okay. points on Vegas Insider. Bet G- I have it pulled up right now. It's one and a half on 
No, it's actually minus two on all the major books, but it's one and a half on some of the books. I'm going to take Iowa with the points. I just think they're a more sound team, but I'm going to make a really bold take right now. Yeah. I still think Ohio State is winning the big time. I, I don't want to talk about it because I, I agree with you, sadly. But uh, if we're picking this game, look, I'm flat out going to be rooting for Iowa. I mean, how could you not? Yeah, how could you not? They're, they're one of my teams. Oh, I bet some kids from Penn State. You start a fullback. Rooting for Iowa. You start a fullback, and, and you're going to be a team that I root for. But, um, you know, if we're, if we're picking this game, like I talked about, you know, I think the main decider of this game will be A, takeaways, and, and, and B, quarterback play. I don't know if you can count on the four or five takeaways that Iowa had against Iowa State and Maryland, right? And when it comes to quarterback play, you know, Sean Clifford – um, against Auburn, granted that Auburn game was at home, but Penn State against Auburn was the closest game that either of these teams have played all year. Sean Clifford is the quarterback in this game who has been against a top 25 opponent this season, you know, in a close game in the fourth quarter. Sean Clifford's been there this season, delivered against Auburn. Petras, you know, you haven't seen him deliver under pressure, and so I just feel more comfortable. If one team's going to have to make a long drive, actually throw the ball down the field in the fourth quarter, which I think they will in a close game like this, then I trust Clifford, I trust Dodson more than I do Iowa, and so I think I'm going to go with Iowa in a close one. Iowa in a close one? I mean, Penn State, Penn State. Penn sorry. State, yeah. you'll take the points, or you're just taking them straight up? Well, they're an underdog, right? So straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight, yeah. Points yeah I'm taking them to win. Taking right, them to win. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, Big Will, your prediction for this game. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a very heavy defensive struggle early on. It's going to be like six or like 10-7 like end of the third quarter like you it's remember gonna... that iowa michigan state big 10 title yeah, yeah. game lj Scott. johnson on the call LJ what Scott. a game exactly yes. yeah putting uh, the ball over the ad yeah. or it's for, like for, for the right you, what are you doing on new year's and, and then as his ball as his like the ball crossed the pylon i was like new year's yep. Eve. Oh, and it was, was and it was like, johnson will be on the call again what this a season, time 2016 what a season of and that mm-hmm, game mm-hmm. and that game was for the right to lose by 45 points to alabama and so this was, one and and this one is probably <laughs> ended up going to be the same thing so i'm going to take i'm going to take penn state with you i think penn state's the more talented team i think they're the better team i think sean clifford is that extra factor i was going to look really good for three quarters they're probably going to actually like they might dominate this game like from a yardage standpoint from a control clock standpoint but i think in the fourth quarter john dotson comes alive you start to see noah kane make some plays kind of some screen game action i think penn state kind of just gets away with this one late field goal, twenty to seventeen. Right, the type of game where one one big explosive play yes. in the passing game. There's like a one cut Noah Noah Kane yeah. run, or just like out of nowhere, just like they're like running the ball for like three yards to carry all game, and then mm-hmm. boom, one just breaks. And you're like, that's the difference. That is the difference. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this is definitely a huge game for the Big Ten, and there's a huge game. And another big league going on in the Big 12 this weekend down Ooh, in yeah. Dallas, Texas, over at the Cotton Bowl. Oklahoma taking on Texas. Oklahoma is still undefeated this season but has vo- looked very human. Spencer Rattler was the preseason Heisman favorite. He has dropped to not even in the top five in betting anymore. I'm going to go ahead and just make my prediction for this game really quick. I'm taking Texas. I, the spread on this game is what? Do you guys know by any chance? Uh, I think uh, it's Oklahoma's three, a three-and-a-half point favorite. Three-and-a-half okay, Oklahoma. Okay, so I'm yeah. going to take Texas straight up to win. I think 
Oklahoma has sleptwalked through this first five or six games of the season. They have looked very human. They have not yet to face a team as talented as Texas, a player as talented as Bijan Robinson, and players as talented as they're going to see on the Texas defense. Texas still recruits at a very high level, guys, and they have the talent to kind of where Florida does, where when they have these big games, mm-hmm. they can always compete. I understand they got embarrassed by Arkansas, but Casey Thompson runs this offense much better than Hudson Card does. I think Sark has made the adjustments necessary to keep Texas rolling through the season. Right now, Bijan is number two in my Heisman rankings. I'm going to go with the Longhorns in the upset. Horns yeah, and, and like you said, Tom Herman recruited at a level where he left Sark in a pretty good position. The one thing Sark messed up on this season was was starting out the season with Hudson Card, right? And so the one Texas game that a lot of people watched this season was when they got destroyed by Arkansas on the road, just physically manhandled. Um, but then they put the right quarterback in, Casey Thompson. They put up 70 on Texas Tech. Never defensive powerhouse, but nevertheless, 70 is a lot of points. They have shown the ability to win a close game against TCU this Saturday. They gave Bijan the ball 35 times. Mm. The dude just keeps pounding and pounding. No one on Oklahoma, I understand they have Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks, but no one will give Texas the fit on the ground that Zach Evans gave them. Zach Evans is good, man. Exactly. He is very good. Almost a Florida Gator. Screw you, COVID. I'm sure we'll do a recruiting miss special at some time on Wolf Back Down. Uh, I mean, speaking of Texas, Evan Stewart, my my God. (laughs) Yeah. But don't, um, don't this is a tough one to pick because Oklahoma has kind of sleptwalked through the early part of their slate, right? But they played Kansas State last Saturday, and they hadn't beat Kansas State since 2018. That was a very big win. And that a was a very big win for them, especially win. because Kansas State had Skylar Thompson playing this season. Right. With, I think seventh-year senior, Skylar Thompson. He was awesome. He's so easy to root for. I love Kansas State. But, um, you know, I think Oklahoma – built the confidence with that Kansas State win that they needed going into this game. Oklahoma is more talented on defense than Texas is. I mean, I, I think, you know, they've got guys up front. Benito, uh, what's that other linebacker's name? I forget, to be honest with you. But they've got a very talented defense. And Spencer Rattler, you know, beat him last year in that phenomenal overtime game. And it'll be a close one. But, again, Oklahoma, I think, building confidence at the right time. And I trust Lincoln Riley a little more than I trust Sark yeah. in a close game. So I'm going to go Oklahoma by three. So if the spread's yeah, three and a half, three, so yeah. you're right there yeah. with Vegas. Vegas knows. So that, that's kind of why I'm going to go Oklahoma by they, three instead of seven. Exactly. Because, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. I, I think it, it seems simple almost based on what we've seen from Oklahoma on the big stage to just pick Texas. They've looked good recently. They put up 70 Against TCU, they switched their quarterback, and everything's getting better. They got Bijan Robinson, who's might be the best running back in the entire country right mm-hmm. now. He is a bell cow, and he's going to be a major factor in this game. And I think that he might be the difference in this game. I agree wholeheartedly. This might be Bijan's Heisman game. It might be. It might be. But in the end, we're due for a running back to win. But in the way. end, yeah, I think Texas just gets that big turnover. Like they turn the ball over at the wrong spot with the lead late in the game. It's just Texas and football. And I think, and I think, I think it's going to be like. 24-20 or something in the fourth quarter. There's going to be some big turnover. Texas, Oklahoma's going to get that big momentum shift, and then Spencer Rattler is just going to turn it on in the fourth quarter. And I think Oklahoma wins this game. I'll go Oklahoma 30, Texas 24. I'll it's take Oklahoma. And, and, and at that point... I just, it just Again, like you said, I just think the confidence from last week, Lincoln Riley, he's He's starting to figure out his team. The offense is starting to get rolling, and it's going to take a while. I think Texas is the, is the better team in the first half, but Spencer Rattler and the offense, 
McKennedy Brooks, they start to just feel the rhythm. Marvin Mims makes a big play, and they kind of just they kind of pull away in that fourth quarter, and things start to get rolling, and they get the big turnover. Their defense is great at forcing turnovers. They get the big turnover when they need to in that in that fourth quarter. And I think that Oklahoma yeah. is the better team at the end of the day, and that's why they get the win. And then all Dallas. of a sudden, if Oklahoma six and zero, you know, after beating yeah, Texas exactly. with a two game lead in the conference, all of a sudden. It's been an extremely fun year so far, and I don't want to take anything away from that, but you know, I think a scenario everyone's starting to fear at this point is that despite the you know renaissance that we've seen so far in the beginning of this season, right. you're almost staring at the possibility where, again, it's oh, Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, oh, and, and Ohio, Ohio State, State in the exactly. playoffs. Social media has just automatically assumed that Ohio State and Oklahoma are out of the playoffs. No. They are no. very much alive. Very yeah, much alive. I mean, it's, a, it's something no one wants to talk Ohio about. They very quietly just obliterated a very good Rutgers team last and, weekend. And it was Ryan we, Day. We, we, we talked about this it, game. It was your lock and of the we week. Both, <laughs> we both said I liked Rutgers plus 15. Ohio State just absolutely steamrolled them. You guys them both from, did. From start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> I, it wasn't my lock of the week. My lock yeah. of the week was Syracuse plus three and a half, and they did cover because they lost by three. So thank you very much. Good, well, good, good work. I went down two units in college football betting this week. Look, my lock of the week was Arkansas. <laughs> Saw, so, uh, not a great week for anyone. I will never be picking but against the spread against Georgia again this season, except for the Florida game. The way it's going right now, so far through our picks, is it seems like to be you two versus me. So we'll have a lot to talk about next week. Let's Absolutely. quickly get into the games in the only conference that matters: the Southeastern Conference. It just means more. We have the Consolation Classic of two teams who had a huge opportunity last week. Unfortunately, both fell short. Arkansas versus Mississippi. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give this game to Mississippi. I think Matt Corral makes the difference. He gets back his Heisman candidacy, and I'm going to go with Mississippi. I think Lane Kiffin is the better coach than Sam Pittman. I'm going to go. Yeah, pa- pack the vault like Lane Kiffin's been tweeting out all week, right? It's their first big home game this season. And, yeah, I mean, Lane Kiffin's going to be be pissed off. Um, I think he'll he'll call a great game offensively. And Arkansas is going to be the more tired team. I agree. I that think game because took a lot out of Arkansas. Georgia just in the trenches. My goodness, they take a lot out of you. And if you didn't watch the Ole Miss-Alabama game, it looked, I think, worse on the scoreboard than it actually was. I think it was 35 nothing at one point. But Ole Miss kept going for it on fourth down exactly, and then not converting. So they it kind of led, points on the board it kinda led to a game where, where they kept giving it to Bama in good field position. Bama, I think, you know, won by, by more than they would have if Ole Miss had punted a few of those away. But got to credit the balls on Lane Kiffin for, for going for it in all those plays. What he talked about was that, in a game when you're when you're a, a multiple score underdog, you know statistically it, it pays to take risks like that. You know he was paying, I mean, he was playing to win, not to cover. And so, yeah, I think Ole Miss is the more talented Tall team. Guy, I think they win. We also. Got. Well, I, I I tend to agree with with both of you on this one. I think KJ Jefferson, he doesn't quite have the playmaking ability. Like I think last week, I thought he, I think he's a great quarterback, and he he's he's been very good for Arkansas this Dan year. Dan Mullen would love him. Oh, I'm sure he would, Damn but I, I just think that Georgia just kind of had the blueprint for KJ Jefferson and this Arkansas running, steamrolling offense. I, Ole Miss, they have they have more talent. They've got the better players. They've got they, they ju- they're just a better overall team. They're more a more exciting team, and I don't think that I Bama was one of the few teams that can actually sh- had the game plan to shut down this high powered Ole Miss offense. I don't think Arkansas has anywhere near that level of talent on the defensive side to be able to shut down this Ole Miss defense like Bama did. And again, like you said, it was the fourth con- fourth down conversions that they failed on, which was one of those big reasons. So Ole Miss what, isn't as bad as they looked last week. A lot of people expected 
that Bama that just would just steamroll Ole Miss like that because that's what Bama does. But Arkansas is just – they're not Bama. Ole Miss, I think they don't have much trouble. I think Ole Miss – I don't know, I'm not sure what the spread. I think it's five and a half. I think they cover. Get your out. popcorn ready. It's yeah. Get your popcorn. Ready. Five and a half is the spread. I think that they cover that with ease. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think Ole Miss will easily cover this game. And to the last game that we're going to discuss, the SEC game of the week. I think we're all going to be pretty uniform in who we're picking here. But in my opinion, the true number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, are renewing a classic rivalry against Auburn. We know how that rivalry has gone in recent years, but I think no. Trends are going to change here. I'm going with the dogs in a big one. I think they're going to. What's the spread on this game, guys? It's 14 and a half. Oh, they're easily going to cover. You know, double check that. 15 and a half. I don't care if it's the mailman. I don't care if it's Carson Beck. I don't care if it's JT Daniels. I don't care if Kirby Smart takes off his visor, puts on a jock strap, and goes out on the field himself. Bo Nix will not be able to move the ball against the Georgia Gators. Yeah, I I am an uh, unapologetic optimist when it comes to the Gators. So. There's no doubt that I'm going to change my mind on this at 3.30. I'm, I'm fully going to think that Auburn's going to win the game and save our season. But, yeah, no. Auburn moved the ball on the ground pretty well against uh, Penn State. But Georgia up front's a different animal. Tank Bigsby, um, he didn't even get a lot of carries last week. I think he's hurt. Like He's, he's playing, he but he's not at full strength. Bo Nix, you know, as, as impressive and fun to watch as he was against LSU. And maybe he's good for, for three of those, like Johnny Menzel-esque plays. In this game, but it, it's just not going to be enough. And so I think Georgia probably wins by about like 30, 31 to 14. Yeah, definitely. They cover. Oh, 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 it's magic. You know, Bo Nix magic. I would love to see so much Bo Nix magic. And I think in this first quarter, Bo Nix is going to have a little bit of that. Sprinkle a little pixie dust. Wish upon a star. Run around the Georgia defense. Run to your right. Run to your left. Juke out a defender. Throw it down the middle of the field across your body. And it's intercepted by Lewis. Lewis seen. And he takes it all the way. 55 yards for a pick six en route to a Georgia 56 to nothing beatdown of the Auburn Tigers. I think Georgia's going to blow them out. You scared me for a second there. I actually thought you were going to Georgia's going to blow them out. Georgia's not going to blow them out. I will not put that game on my TV. No, no, no. The dogs are damn good. I'll I'll be watching. I'm going to talk myself into it. Right before kickoff. I saw a stat earlier that there have been four teams since 2005 who have allowed under 170 yards per game. I'm pretty sure it was like 2011 Alabama, 2012 Alabama as well. I'm pretty sure some other team in the mid 2000s, mid 2010s. And you know who the fourth team is? 2021. 2021 Georgia. Fuck. Oh, I hate the Bulldogs. Mm. Whatever. Let's roll right into our picks of the week. We'll wrap you up here on the show. We'll do our picks of the week and then another quick recap of the Florida-Kentucky game and preview for the Florida-Vanderbilt game. But let's get our pick of the week. Jake Lehman, who is your lock of the week? Hopefully you won't go down like I did last week. Ooh, my lock of the week. That's tough. Um, This is a stupid one because this is a one that a lot of people are going to pick, I think. But uh, it's is it three or three and a half? It's Michigan at Nebraska, though. It's Michigan at Nebraska. Um, Michigan's only a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Nebraska, and now, that, again, that's going to be a popular one because a lot of people are very low on Nebraska, and the reason that this spread's not, not so much higher is that Nebraska kept it close at Oklahoma, at Michigan State. They're not as bad as um, you know they looked week one against Illinois. Adrian Martinez has been playing much better football than, again, we saw him um, – 
in that week zero game. But from what, what I saw from Michigan, I liked him, honestly. I like him going forward. Blake Corum, if you haven't got a chance to watch him yet, he is a five foot eight pinball, just bouncing off defenders. I mean, he finishing runs, putting his shoulder down. He is fun to watch. Um, if you remember last week, I had a lot of doubt as to whether Cade McNamara could make the throws necessary to beat Wisconsin, and he did. I think he passed for over 250 yards, and so they're not calling for J.J. McCarthy anymore to take his spot. I mean, he he showed himself, and so I like Michigan to win um, convincingly on the road at Nebraska. Cover that three-and-a-half-point spread. Definitely. Tall guy, who you got? I've gone through several games here trying to def- trying to figure out my locker of the week. This, this week is really tough. I thought a little bit about Baylor getting just three at home against West Virginia. Baylor's there 4-1. Thought a little bit about FSU on the road getting 17.5 points to play with against North Carolina. That one's a good one as well. But in the end, I'm going to go to the Big 12. I like this line a lot. I think TCU... On the road against Texas Tech. Texas Tech, they're 4-1, but they haven't beaten anybody. They looked awful against Texas, and TCU played Texas tough. Despite being on the road in Lubbock, I like the Horn Frogs. Minus 1.5. Give me TCU minus 1.5 as my lock of the week. That was actually one of mine, so I'll go with the other one I was really looking at. I'm going to give some love to the group of five right here. I'm taking Bill Clark and the UAB mm. Blazers. Minus 4.5 against my hometown, FAU Owls. Mm. They look just abysmal in the one game I watched them this year, was which was against the Florida Gators. And I understand the Gators can make any group of five team look bad like that. But FAU's I, not I think Bill, yeah, Bill well, Clark is a very good coach. UAB is probably the best team out of the CUSA. I'm going to take them with the points. You know, let's show some love <laughs> to the group of five. Let's show some love to Boca Raton, Florida. The game is in Birmingham, which is a, is a factor. I mean, FAU, they, they just blew out FIU 58-21. They're not a bad team. They're not. Yeah, but FI Butch Davis has. I saw a stat the other day. Butch Davis has what, like two or three wins since they beat Miami two years ago. FAU. Is, you know, Hurricanes fans are about to talk themselves into getting Butch Davis back. By the way. <laughs> Why? Oh my! I'll go off on Miami fans another time. But yeah, so a great week of college football coming up. I can't believe we're already at week six. You know, hopefully you guys get to enjoy all the games. Hopefully we won't be suffering through a noon game, Florida versus Vanderbilt. We gave you our picks. We told you what we thought of the heartbreaking Kentucky loss. And like I said, we did not back down. For everyone here on WBD, I'm Sam Petosa along with my good friends, Big Will Levinson, Jake Lehman. Hope everyone has a great week and enjoys the game. Jake or Will, anything else you guys want to say? Um, again, you know, we're on Apple and Spotify now, so two main platforms. Like, y'all listen, we're on there. Subscribe, interact, tweet us at our twi- Twitters. I'm at Sam Potosa5. I'm at Jake underscore Lehman underscore. At Big Will Levinson, B I G W I L L L E V E N S O N. My final parting thoughts to the NFL hashtag start read Senate if you're the Miami Dolphins. But uh, I agree wholeheartedly. And again, follow our main Twitter at Won't Back Down Pod. Um, all of our personal ads are there as well, and we'll be posting episode links and more on that main Twitter page. Yeah, definitely. For all of us here with the WBD Pod, stay classy. Thank you for listening to the Won't Back Down Podcast with Will Levinson, Sam Patosa, and Jake Lehman, a part of the Pigskin Podcast Network.